Hey, Access Ninjas, two quick notes before we begin today. First of all, I had a little bit of microphone trouble when we were recording this episode, and I had to send my microphone in for repair shortly afterwards. So you'll notice some of my recordings are a bit lower quality than they typically are. Also, you notice I jump in twice in this recording. We did some additional research and I needed to add some notes. And also, we had a little bit of a technology change happen and I recorded a add-in in there. So you'll hear a little bit of a sound and then an additional voice come in mentioning that it's a jump in that was not recorded at the same time as the episode. Shouldn't be too much of interruption, but we just wanted to get some updates and make sure our information was as up-to-date and accurate as possible. One more quick note before we begin. Rachel and I have started putting together a Kickstarter to help us increase the amount of episodes we can do and increase the quality of our recordings. We're going to be posting that Kickstarter in the near future. If you want to get updates on that, just visit us at access.ninja. We'll have links, additional information, and please share that with your friends when it comes out. It will help us make this the best podcast it can be. Thanks. Welcome to the Access Ninja Podcast, Episode 6, Accessible Video. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. I'm Jonathan Campbell. I'm Rachel Magario. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about accessible video, specifically about how to make your videos accessible and to make sure when they get posted on your website or your blog or wherever you put them on the internet that they are accessible to as many people as possible. So we're going to talk about this in three different ways. We're going to start out talking about described audio. In fact, we're going to do an entire episode about audio descriptions in the near future. We're then going to talk about captioning for your videos. And then one of the most important steps, making sure that your shared video is in an accessible format, making sure as many people will be able to play it. So without further ado, let's jump right in. So the first section is described video, which is sometimes referred to as DVS, which stands for Descriptive Video Services. Now, Rachel, you've got the most experience listening to these before. Could you describe what descri descriptive video is when watching a movie or a TV show? Yes. So descriptive video is like a totally separate track that you can play on top of the sound of the movie. And I think the very first one I had in my experience with was Harry Potter 5. I was in India and I was in a friend's house and he was a teenager. So um, he said, let's watch Harry Potter with audio description. And I was like, what? Anyway, so he plugged it in. And of course, it was this British uh, woman uh, describing the movie, which made it more fun. But basically, the voice comes in every time, um, how do I explain this? Every time there's a pause and in the talking and something is happening, then the voice comes on and tells you what's happening. So, for example, I just went to the movie theaters and watched uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. And I think the movie starts with him uh, playing with his uh, sphere of power and he's jumping around 
Um, right? Did you watch it? Yes, I yes I did actually. I really enjoyed that movie. Um, but it starts out with um, Star Lord, our hero, walking through this weird planet with these putting in these headphones and listening to music, and kind of dancing. Right. Correct. So all you can hear is sort of like his uh, Walkman music, right? And and then a little bit of noise in the background of you know like that technological kind of sound of. A bunch of swifts and things and so the description on my headphones on the movie theater was just saying you know uh the star lord comes in gets out of his uh rocket uh, using his rocket shoes and jumps from one you know one rock to another rock and he turns around and so that's what it does or if i was watching star trek and it might say like uh you know, you see a spaceship approaching and all of a sudden it disappears. So it's kind of like when they put their invisible shields or something like that. So it's usually not where there is going a dialogue, it's just in between, if that makes any sense. And you mentioned something. You mentioned that you were at the movie theater when you saw Guardians of the Galaxy. I know it just came out in DVD, but you saw it in the theater and you saw it i presume with your husband and uh but you were listening with headphones and he was not is that correct that is correct so uh not all movie theaters have but in the state of minnesota marcus theaters have icon theaters have so you can uh, call them up and ask about it and uh they also have closed caption uh, little devices they're like a little tv that you put on your uh, cup holder so then you can actually be uh, you know reading the closed captions and they also have headphones for audio description so when you uh, and if you're looking for a movie theater and you look on their page many of them will put dvs saying that you know it's video description is available so you saw Guardians of the Galaxy with all your descriptions in the theater. You got to have your own receiver with headphones. And you saw Harry Potter. This was on a, a DVD? Or? That is correct. That was on a DVD. And for the longest time, I think audio description in movie theaters have been around only the past two years. And they weren't very common and they're getting a little more common now. But uh, DVDs are a lot more common. In fact, uh, Disney DVDs have audio description but only if you buy the dvd so if you rent the dvd it doesn't come with the audio description function which makes me really sad because i don't think parents can afford all the disney dvd movies for their blind children now dvds is one way movie theater is another way to get descriptive video we were talking just recently how in iOS 8 and in Yosemite, in the accessibility menu of the settings, they've added a descriptive video option that you can flip on. Uh, and then if descriptive video track is available, then it will actually play that description. But that's so new, we're still sort of figuring it out. Another thing to note is I mentioned that iOS 8 and Yosemite has the audio description options in it, but also the Apple TV's latest software update has it as well, although it's only available for the third generation Apple TV and newer. Uh, 
but you'll find an audio description setting in the settings. And actually, AppleViz uh, did a really good walkthrough of the accessibility features on the Apple TV. They did not demonstrate the descriptive video itself, but it is a good walkthrough of the accessibility features in the Apple TV, uh, which you can find, and we'll put a link in the show notes to that. I'm going to jump in here and add a little update to this podcast recording based on a response I received from the Apple Accessibility team regarding descriptive video in the Apple Store. Basically, developers, when creating video content, can add a descriptive video audio track to their videos that can play only if the user has gone into the accessibility settings on their Mac or iPhone or iPad. Now, response I received from accessibility at apple.com directed me to a 2013 Worldwide Developer Conference video entitled Preparing and Presenting Media for Accessibility, where you can learn more about adding descriptive video tracks to your projects. Our big question was, does this mean that iTunes content will be coming with a DVS track that can be accessed using this new accessibility setting? Now, I can't confirm whether this will be the case in the future, but as of the publishing of this podcast, that is not the case. Currently, you can find DVS versions of some of the Pixar movies on iTunes, specifically Fighting Nemo, Monsters, Inc., Up, Brave, and Cars 2. To find them, just search DVS in iTunes. Now, these movies come with a DVS track, but you cannot turn it on and off. It's just on for the entire movie. These movies do not incorporate the new descriptive video accessibility feature, so those audio tracks are the main track, the only version you can listen to. Also, like Rachel mentioned with DVDs, you can only purchase the DVS version, not rent them. Just to be sure, live during our podcast recording, Rachel purchased, downloaded, and played a copy of Up from the iTunes store to see if we could access a DVS track on the normal movie you would buy. Sadly, this did not work. So we're not going to bother playing that section in this particular recording. We are hoping that descriptive video will come to the iTunes store and that this new accessibility setting is a sign of that, but we're going to have to wait and see for now. So it looks like we're still going to have to wait a little bit before we get uh, a nice implementation of descriptive video in iTunes. So a little anticlimactic, but it was a little fun trying to do it live (laughs) during the podcast. And apparently I'm going to have to buy, like, rebuy all my movies, right? So I can get audio description. (laughs) Well, we'll see. We'll see. Like I said, these, uh, these Disney movies with the, uh, that were available in descriptive video have been in the iTunes store for a while. Hopefully the fact that there is a descriptive video, uh, option in settings means that we're going to see a change maybe in policy, but at that point we're just guessing. So let's say I am, um, the producer of a video and I want to make a descriptive video version um, of uh, audio track for my video. Do you have any specific advice? And I know we're going to cover this more deeply in a future podcast, specifically on descriptive video, since it's such a big topic, but uh, do you have any off the cuff recommendations from your experiences with descriptive video? Don't make it boring. (laughs) (laughs) 
well right now it's it's really great and i'm really grateful for everything that we have right now but uh especially uh american uh audio description it's very dry with no emotion and when you're watching a movie like guardians of the galaxy and the guy it's you know super cool and you just have somebody describing it and it's really monotone you know what's happening it's sort of like it sort of puts you in a different mood you know it kind of takes the excitement out of it so i really think that audio description should be a little bit like uh you know sports commentators i like that idea if it if it's exciting then put excitement in it you know it's it's like uh when i watch uh, you know i'm a fan of basketball college basketball of course because i'm a jayhawk so it was always different when you watch well when you hear a basketball game from you know from from a from a sports uh announcer that it's not rooting from any of the universities they're playing but then when you know the jayhawks are playing and actually our local radio was um you know like uh, transmitting it it was always more exciting because you knew every time that the jayhawks make a score because the guy gets so excited about and when somebody else does the score he goes like oh like score you know so <laughs> i think that would be the best I was trying to describe earlier to, to Rachel, we were having a conversation about a movie I'd recently watched on Netflix, which was a really, really bad Jean-Claude Van Damme movie called Cyborg. And in this movie, the reason why I enjoyed it is how ridiculous it is and how intense Jean-Claude Van Damme is, the way he looks at people and the way he jumps in the air and kicks the guy in the face while doing a split is just amazing and awesome. And if someone was to, if I was to describe why I enjoyed this movie, why I thought it was good, I wouldn't say, Sean Claude Van Cam kicks a guy. You know, that's <laughs> not the way I would say it, but that's how the way sometimes these audio descriptions sound. What really happened, Sean Claude Van Damme looked at the guy like he was gonna kill him, then did a roundhouse split kick to his face, sending him flying through the air. And I would, put in some emotion i put in more than that i'm trying not to go overboard but uh, <laughs> i really love that good. scene right yeah. and so that i think that's, that's like you're saying with the sports uh announcer if it's something is intense or ex as exciting the description preferably should match that energy if possible well i think it goes back to the same thing with presentations right i mean who enjoys a presentation when the person is reading out you know the slides or they are giving a speech and they're reading out out of their notes you know nobody enjoys that kind of stuff you enjoy the speaker that stands there and speaks from their heart and move their hands you know or you like the presenter that uses the slides as a prop not as a tool to present it's like the Harry Potter audiobooks. I know a lot of people who really enjoy those. I do. <laughs> and what made them particularly special was that it was not just somebody dryly reading the entire book word for word. It was a little it was someone emoting and expressing and it was Well, it was it was actually acted, right? More than read. 
because Jim Dale is actually a Broadway uh, actor. So, you know, he was getting into the character of each character he was reading. And I think that also makes audiobooks perfect. When you get somebody that reads monotone throughout the book, it just kills it. Like, you don't want to read it. Especially when it's textbooks. Exactly. So why should we expect that from an audio description? I mean, imagine a Jackie Chan movie and somebody is just describing really dryly. Oh, so you're picking out movies, you know, I'm going to get excited about. You know, I like my, my silly action and kung fu movies. <laughs> if someone was describing to them in a monotone voice what was going on, it's just, it's not what I would enjoy from the movie. And it's not something I would express when I was expressing it to someone else. I would, I would describe it that way. So it wouldn't even, you wouldn't even be able to do it because I had this awesome friend that she was a Jackie Chan lover too. And every time we went to the movies, she was my, my Jackie Chan to go person. And she not only got excited, but she sort of knew the name of the movements. And, you know, and she almost like jumped out of her seat as she was describing it. Because otherwise, it's so fast that if she was saying it slowly, you know, she would get maybe three words in and, and the scene have already changed. And she, she was great at it. So before we go too far deep into audio descriptions, we're going to do a whole episode on that. Um, why don't we talk about captions next? Captions are very important for the same reason as audio descriptions, right? Because everybody thinks, well, we already have subtitles. Why should we have captions? And captions are, I think everybody sort of knows this, is, but usually the dialogue or audio cues that happen inside of a movie or a TV show or a video are conveyed in text below them. And there's two ways that these caption files are sometimes created. Uh, one is you can create a customizable caption file that plays along with the video. And if you watch a video in YouTube, for example, that is captioned, you can actually customize the way those captions look. You can actually set the background color of the text, the text itself. When you play a video that has captions uh, in it on an iOS device, you can customize the way those captions look. And those because those captions are provided through what's called a caption file. So it's just a text file that has the text that should appear and the times that that text should appear and disappear off the screen. We'll talk about how you can get those uh, if you want to, or how to create them in just a moment. Another way you can do captions is to actually burn them in. I've often heard, heard it referred to as burning it into the video itself. This might be if you've got a video in iMovie or Windows Movie Player, and you use the titles that you might do to put text on the screen to say like the name of the person or describe the situation. If you use those at the bottom, uh, you can add captions, but they call that burning them in. And what that happens is they're actually part of the video file itself. So the user has no customizability. They have to have the captions however they appear. They can make them bigger or smaller. And if the video's streaming, if it's buffering on YouTube, if you ever watch a video that is really big, sometimes the quality level drops. 
well, so will the clarity of the text in your caption. So it's that's not a preferable method uh, because you don't have a lot of control over the captions, depending on how the person needs to read them, and you can really make them unreadable. The compression goes all wonky on you. And that's the biggest problem, I think, with accessibility. It's like, burning it in is never the option for anything. You know, like, even when you create a photo and a site, and instead of putting the title over the picture, you actually put the title in the picture itself. That makes it disappear to assistive technology. Because now that title, even though it appears to be there, is actually an image and not an actual text. So, burning, I would say, is always to be in the back burner. So let's say you just created a great video, you're going to upload it to YouTube. You upload, you go to YouTube site, you upload it, you see there's a captioning option and they have a feature called automatic captioning. Rachel, should I turn on audio caption, uh, automatic captioning, walk away and feel like I've made a success? Definitely not. <laughs> I wouldn't feel successful, at least. It's not magic. We would hope they would, but it's not. Yeah, YouTube's automatic captioning uses uh, Google's voice recognition to try to identify the speaker and convert it into text. If anybody's used uh, Google Voice, <laughs> Google Voice, and uh, which is supposed to convert phone messages or voicemail messages into text, you can tell that accuracy is really low. Unless the audio is very clear, then the person the person speaking is speaking incredibly clearly you're not going to end up with a good transcription from that. Also, it doesn't know about periods, commas, exclamation points, open quotes, close quotes. They can't do any punctuation whatsoever. So automatic captioning generally does not work well. But what does work well is YouTube allows you to upload a transcript. And a transcript is just a text version of everything that is said in your recording. Now, if you've got some time, you can actually view your video, sit in front of a word processor, and write out everything people say. You can upload that with your YouTube video. It will take the text and do its best to match it to what's said, and that success rate is much better. You may have to go in and do some tweaking, and YouTube gives you the tools to adjust the timing, but you'll end up with a much, much better caption and it doesn't take as much work. Now, you can also get a transcription done professionally. And a transcription, so that's just a text copy of everything that was said in your video, those tend to cost about a dollar to a dollar twenty-five per minute if you get them done professionally. And there's a lot of different companies that do that. Now, you can also get something called timed captions. Now, those cost more. What will happen in that case is, in addition to getting the transcription, uh, uh, the professionals will also do the timing for you and make sure that the text stays up uh, when the correct speaker is speaking for the correct amount of time before disappearing so that it's readable and that the shows up at the right time. But that can be closer to about the average I saw was about $3.50 per minute. So you're looking at more than twice the cost to get them timed. 
Yeah, the other thing too that's important that sometimes people forget is if your video has people talking but then it has a lot of sound background that is actually giving context, you know, it's nice to put that on your trip. For instance, if somebody, you know, uh, rings the bell or knocks at the door and, I don't know, it's a scary movie and that would mean something scary or important then you know it's important to put that like you know so and so or or so and so hears a knock on the door if you don't want to say who it is or you know context that matters or if somebody yells and uh you know something like that yeah anything that is not depicted visually or something that it, the audio plays an important role should be described. Like you said, a door slamming, a knock on the door, a someone crying off camera, any important detail like that. Something that if you thought a normal viewer hadn't heard it, would they be missing something from that scene? Now, I mentioned YouTube specifically in this example. Uh, Vimeo, uh, which is another uh, video hosting site, uh, supports caption files as well. Uh, they don't have the automatic captioning, uh, but you can upload a, a caption file and have them uh, viewable there as well. When you're creating a video and going to be posting it on DVD, a lot of DVD production software will allow you to uh, uh, use a caption file itself. But if you're using software to create a, a DVD, um, oftentimes it'll upload as a track. Now, if you do upload to a video or encode inside of an existing video file, you're going to need those timed captions. You're not going to be able to load a transcript in. But a little tip uh, that uh, works if you're in a financial pinch, uh, you can actually upload your video to YouTube, upload your transcript, check the timing, watch the video, check the timing on the captions that YouTube does, make adjustments, and YouTube will allow you to download the resulting timed caption file that you created. And you can use that inside of a compressor or DVD studio or whatever video authoring software you're using that supports captions. So that could be a way to save some money. Uh, and uh, But make sure you do review the timing of your captions. Don't just load a transcript in and think everything worked perfectly. You wanna make sure that everything's in a nice readable speed. All right, so you've got your video. You've added your captions. You've made a transcribed version of it, for example. You're uploading it to your blog or website. How do you make sure that individuals navigating with a screen reader or navigating using the keyboard, for example, uh, instead of a mouse, how are they going to be able to play your video files? Now, we ran into this uh, in our work, didn't we, Rachel, with videos that were posted, and when VoiceOver tried to read them they were not very descriptive. Yes, because, well, there's three things that happen sometimes with embedded videos. Uh, the first one is the screen reader does not see the video at all, uh, especially when it's a flash video. Uh, the other option is I see there is a frame and it's called frame zero, but that doesn't mean anything. And then I have to interact with the frame. 
Um, and sometimes I can play, and sometimes I cannot. So I cannot get to the controls uh, for playing the video. And the other thing that happens is the video is embedded. It reads me the name of the video, but I can never find the control to play it. Now, there's a lot of ways of putting a video on a web page. Um, there's a lot of players, Flash, and QuickTime's got their own uh, as well. We're going to address the most common way, and that is for someone to upload a video to YouTube or Vimeo and embed it on their website. Now, when you do that, uh, you run into those three problems that Rachel mentioned. Video won't, will be skipped entirely, and the screen reader won't even know that it's there. Uh, someone trying to use the tab keys or arrow keys to navigate a, a page or using their voice to navigate uh, can't get to the video player. Now, we created a special website on the Access Ninja site that you can find, and we'll put it in the show notes. It's access.ninja slash embedding dash videos. And in that web page, we're just going to cover everything we're about to talk about right now. So the first step when embedding a web, uh, a video onto your website is when well, you go to YouTube and you hit the share button and you get the embed code. It's a iframe with a bunch of code inside of it. You copy that, you go back to your blogging or your web page tool, you paste in that code. Uh, and there's two uh, main changes you can make to that code that will make it infinitely more accessible. So the first thing is going to be dealing with that frame zero. So when a screen reader like voiceover gets to a frame, sometimes it will read that frame correctly. For instance, uh, JAWS might notice it's a flash player, identify and read you the title. Voiceover might get to it and just say frame zero. A different screen reader might give you different information. What we can do in the frame is we can change that frame zero into something more useful. And it's really easy to do that. So inside that embedding code, it starts out with the word iframe. And then it has the web address of the video itself. Before the web address, we can put in the word title. This is adding the title tag to the frame. So title equals, and then in quotation marks, what you'd like the screen reader to hear. What are you going to name this? this frame itself. So you might call well, the it the title uh, of the video. <laughs> the title of the video, absolutely. Yeah. And you might even add the word video because a iframe as an interface element when a when voiceover gets to it, it's something that the user can interact with and it can contain more than just a video. So mention the title of the video, maybe throw the word video in there so they know exactly what it is. So they can choose whether or not it's what something they want to interact with or something they just want to move on. It's the same thing you expect a sighted user. They'd see your video, decide that they want to play it and be able to move on. You want the screen reader to be able to make that same decision as quickly. And let's put the word video always after the title. Absolutely. Because if you have several videos, then all I will hear is video, something, something, video something, something, video, and then it kind of gets old. So title, then the word video is what you're saying. Correct. Absolutely. So you added the title. When you get to the voiceover user gets to it, they get to that title frame. They know if it's something useful that they should be interacting with. Hey, need to jump in here again? Step two, which we were right about to cover in this recording, 
talked about how to force a video that you embed on your website to play in HTML5. HTML5 video player on YouTube is extremely more accessible than the Flash version. Well, the good news is, after we recorded this podcast, YouTube changed their policy and now embedded videos default to HTML5. All you have to worry about now is that embedding a video from YouTube on a site is more accessible than it used to be and you don't have to do what was previously recorded as step two. So we're gonna cut that section out of this podcast and jump straight to step three. The third thing you can do, and we ran into this with the mobile version of voiceover, is a lot of times these frames get skipped entirely by the iOS version of voiceover. We're not sure why exactly, but it means that a video encoded in the iframe which is the most common embedding method by both Vimeo and YouTube, will sometimes be skipped entirely by voiceover. So the best way to remedy this is to actually add a link back to the original video underneath the video that you placed on the website. So if you grab the Vimeo embedding code, it actually includes a link back to the original video source, and a link back to the user account of whoever created that video. Creating that's fairly simple. We have instructions on how to do that right on that website, access.ninja slash embedding dash videos, and you'll find the show notes at access.ninja. So those three things were adding a title to the embedding code and adding a link back to the original video so that if a screen reader skips it entirely, they'll come to that link and be able to watch the video on the YouTube site itself, on the Vimeo site itself, or if they're on a iOS device on the YouTube or Vimeo app if it's installed, which are both accessible with voiceover. And on Vimeo, you also have their regular embed code is actually already forcing into HTML5, but it's still missing that title tag in order to read that frame. Otherwise, it also says frame zero. So all you have to do is pick their embed code and right there after the iframe, you put the little title tag. Yeah, it's very nice. All the uh, controls are accessible with a screener or with the keyboard without you changing a thing. And it even includes that link back to the original. So just the title tag is what you need to re- remember with Vimeo. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Access Ninja podcast. I must apologize for the microphone trouble I was having and the two edits that we had to make, but you know technology moves really, really fast. If you're enjoying our podcast, do us a big favor. Go to iTunes and give us a star rating. It really helps us gain some additional exposure. If you have feedback, send it to feedback at access.ninja. Also, send us any suggestions or ideas that you have for future podcast episodes. You can find show notes for this episode and additional information and blog entries at access.ninja. That's right, just access period ninja. <laughs>